0: Hello, welcome to the Future of Fire and Security Engineers mini-series brought to you by the IFSEC Insider Podcast. Hello, I'm James Moore, Managing Editor of IFSEC Insider, and we've got something new for you. Regular podcast listeners will, of course, be aware of our monthly Security in Focus podcast, where we interview corporate security leaders, executives, and influencers. But I'm delighted to bring a short mini-series to your ears, focusing on a slightly different part of the sector. Now, this is the first of three episodes focusing on a hot topic in the fire and security industry. Actually, it's a hot topic across the wider electrotechnical and construction sector. In this series, we're focusing on the skills gap and looking ahead at the future of engineering, or to use other terms you might be more familiar with, installers, technicians, systems integrators, and everything in between. These professionals are key elements of the fire and security industry. They're those that install, they design, commission, maintain and replace fire and security systems from CCTV and intruder alarms all the way through to fire alarm and detection systems. The first episode features David Scott, Managing Director at Skills for Security and Simon Banks who I'm sure won't mind me saying wears several hats in the sector including as an investor and chairman in Skills for Security, current chair of the BSIA, Director at the NSI and Founder and Director at CSL Group. The second episode will feature a chat with Kevin Faulkner, Operations Director of Bannam Academy, while the third centres around a talk from FireX from Andy Reeks from the Joint Industry Board, Tom Brooks from the Fire and Security Association, and Trevor Jenks, the SSAIB's National Training Manager. All three episodes focus on different aspects, highlighting the nuances involved in not just getting more people into the sector, but also in raising competency standards and ensuring professionalism is at the heart of the future. They also showcase the enthusiasm and commitment from those already in the industry in seeing the fire and security industries grow, thrive and develop. As you'll hear David explain in this episode, there is a reported figure of around 30,000 skills engineers required to fill the skills gap at the moment. And a gap here impacts the rest of the sector. It causes delays in projects, inflated pricing, creates a very challenging environment for staff retention for those firms within the installation sector, and leads to potentially catastrophic consequences when installations are rushed or corners are cut. But that's enough for me. Let's bring in Simon and David for the first episode. Simon kicks us off by giving us an overview of the skills gap and three ways that he believes can solve the problem.
1: There's three tiers we can, we can go through to, to fulfil that. So they would be, obviously, uh, school leaders, apprenticeships into businesses, SMEs and, and uh, corporates and so on. Then, because that's a sort of resource that can be sort of overmined, if you like, and you're competing with an awful lot with young people, there's a lot of attractive careers out there. Uh, the security industry doesn't come top of the list when you go to a careers advisor at school. So we've got to look for other ways. And one of the other things that we've looked at is, for example, there are 375,000 SEA licensed guards out there, or security officers, as we've got to call them these days. And those 375,000 security officers, I'm saying just 5% of those that we could upskill into a minimum electrotechnical skill set is over 17,000. And if we look at the shortage that we've got in the, the electrotechnical security sector, let's just say and security at the moment, I'll call it FNS to be... Uh, to be quicker, then we've got a 30,000 deficit there that we, we're more than halfway there just if we took those 5%. And you might say to me, well, if you take 5%, what, so, surely the, the guarding sector is already calling for another 75,000 security officers. And I went to SIA and I said, look, guys, if we nicked 5% of your, creamed off 5% of your workforce, would you be happy with that? And to my surprise, he said, yeah because the reason why they'd be happy is because they can attract more talent into their sector because they're offering a career pathway rather than just at the interview saying to people, oh yeah, we've got this security officer job. Oh, where, where does it go? Well, it do not go anywhere. you just be sat- stood outside Tesco for the rest of your life. That's not a very enthralling prospect to somebody. But if we say, yeah, look, if you want to, there are all these different electrotechnical technical pathways you can go on, and so on and so forth. So, that, that's an idea there. And, and, and the, the third idea is to use military uh, people, because one of our closest verticals of disciplines would be not just in the, the, the electric technical, uh, remi, for example, in the military sector. We're looking at, uh, you know, the parallels with security. That's that one thing. But then to carry that on, we're looking to create levels of super engineer. So the super engineer principle is that a super engineer becomes a super engineer when their competency extends to more than four disciplines. So that might be fire, security, IT, and HVAC, for example. Now those, we're not looking to create those engineers. They already exist, but they're just not monikered as super engineers right now. They're just called multidisciplined engineers. In fact, they're probably just called engineers. So the idea there is for us to say, okay, one of the problems with the security industry is that anybody who wants more money has to get promoted out of their skilled discipline and into management, which you may not be as good at. I'm not saying people shouldn't advance their careers, those that want to should, but those that just want to stay in a technical role and be good at it, but be paid more for it. So my thing is if you're a super engineer, you're qualified in more more disciplines, you should be paid more and aspire to more. And so this ecosystem that I think we can create, and this is where skills plays a huge part in it, we can then bring upskilling. So as part of our services from Skills Security, we can upskill, in those disciplines. So we could say to, say, an engineer at ADT or CHAV or even an SME, oh, you've Mm. got super engineers there. We'd like to get them onto a path of better competency across different disciplines, and that's what we can offer. So that's an overall view of what we are looking to achieve. So we're very, very different to other training providers out there that just go, you want a training course, here's a training course, government funded, off you go. We're saying, no, let's attack the whole ecosystem and get people on pathways. Okay. And with, with that
0: sort of super engineer, and I, you know, I've heard the term master systems integrator, for example, be used before. Is that the same kind of thing? Is it about bringing their skills to a level, a, a very high level on, on each subsection of the electrotechnical industry, but then bringing that into together to incorporate some level of integration into that and being able to you know, fix things up, and is that the way that you see the kind of industry developing and evolving into yeah. into, into its next because
1: step? It is exactly right. It's a multidisciplinary environment, and I think that you can then optimize your workforce. So you might be busy in the summer with HVAC, because it's heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, and you might be less busy and busy in HVAC in December. But in December, there might be a digital or IP service that needs attention from engineers. So we're saying optimize your workforce to go after the things that matter most and and advance the industry better. So it's not necessarily having a high level of competence in one particular discipline. Obviously, we're we're protecting lives and property here, so we do want a high level of competence. That's given. But what we also want is a broader level of skill sets so that we can optimise our workforce and and be way more efficient.
2: It's almost a step up from the master engineer, but not in competency. And if you look at the life cycle of an engineer just now, James, You come into this sector, you become an engineer, you progress into management. What Simon and I are saying is we don't want that. If you're good at engineering, you should progress within engineering so you can then upskill yourself in additional um, disciplines within the sector to earn more money rather than uh, moving into management to get more money where we then, as employers, engineering companies throughout the sector, then lose those highly skilled people to to management. That that's just a negative effect of people's aspirations. So we want to create something that offers that opportunity for people to develop themselves further within the sector, rather than just moving into management. Yeah, it's an
0: interesting concept because previously used to used to be an editor in the, in the plumbing and heating sector, and and you see you know highly skilled people there. And they, they grow and develop in a, in a company and then together and weigh and take things on as a sole trader. And they suddenly are faced with having to deal with so much more than just the, what they are good at, the plumbing and the heating side of things and the technical side of things. And then, they're, you know, they're, they're having to deal with HR and, and if, particularly if they want to grow the business. And yes, some people want to do that, but maybe some people want to just stick to what they're good at whilst whilst, develop, whilst expanding their skill set, I suppose. Is that something that you're, David, I guess, when you're sort of speaking to engineers, if you, if you is this something that you're doing at the moment already?
2: And have you spoken to uh, people who want to, to go down this path? No, it's a new concept. It's not something where it's definitely the future of where Skills for Security is going to end up. And I think that's what Simon sort of alluded to. It's creating that ecosystem of making this possible for the sector so people can, like your large companies like Marlowe, PIS, Ed Thompson AVH Hub, Johnson Controls, these are the verticals of their business. They don't just offer firm security, they offer all of these multi-sector disciplines, different verticals, and we want to be able to supply them with the, the right skills and training available through Skills for Security. Simon, what you were saying earlier
0: about speaking to the SIA and, and and joining joining things up. It's about sort of joining things up in the sector, isn't it? It's about seeing the security sector not just as different pathways but as one that can as you say building this ecosystem where you come into security set and you've got five or six different disciplines you can go down and is it it therefore really important to build up those relationships within the security sector itself not seeing the installation and engineering side as a completely different sort of aspect to the guarding side
1: yeah i I think um you've got physical security and then you've got what they call soft services which is people for want of another word if you look at mighty they're an FM company. They own an alarm receiving centre of nine seven nine approved. Yeah, they own a significant alarm company within Mighty, but they also do waste paper baskets and all the rest of it. You know, they do the whole whole nine yards. So, I think that's how we need to start looking at the security industry. Yes, there's a you know we very broadly call it the fire and security industry, but it's way even in the very smallest SME company out there, of which there are three thousand inspectorate recognised. SMEs out there. So it's a significant part of the industry. And that's just outside the major corporates like JCI, ABT, Chubb and so on, uh, Stanley and those out there. But the FM companies have a significant uh, impact and their verticals are our verticals. So I think it's very important that we look beyond just that narrow scope of f We've got to have a more broad outlook because the, the landscape is broad and we've got to match that. And I guess it still
0: starts with that competency in in FNS, right? You've still got the importance of the FAIRS working groups and everything like that going on. In terms of the skills gap, and when we say the skills gap, you know, it can mean different things to different industries sometimes, but what do you think we actually mean by this? You know, where is the industry currently at from an engineering technical side of things?
2: There's two gaps just now. The main one is the engineering cases that, Strangely, I found an article on FSEC that i done in 2013 about <laughs> the need for more engineers. So there's obviously that reported figure of around 30,000 people needed. Now, whether that's completely accurate, we will never know, but there isn't a security company out there that isn't struggling to attract talent. And like Simon says, if there's 3,000 inspectorate companies, just or inspected companies, and they've all got a need for what ten engineers each. Then that really is you at your target already. When we look at cross sectors that like the electrical, their uh, ratio of engineer to apprentices is around ten to fifteen percent. So for every engineer, they have ten to fifteen percent apprentices. And if you look at our sector. With the reported figures, the ratio of engineer to apprentice is only 1, 1.5%. So we know that there's a, an increase of another 10% minimum still to happen in our sector. So that's the first challenge. And, and where that leads is, is that we've only got 1,500 to 2,000 apprentices in the UK. It's going to take us 15 to 25 years to get rid of that skill shortage. And by the time you get there we're not actually going to, it's not going to be any better. It's going to be worse. So we actually need 10,000 apprentices in our sector and we would eradicate the skills shortage in as little as three years. Where we've also got an issue is something that Simon had mentioned earlier was around, we can't attract new talent into this sector because we don't have an attractive sales pitch to give to the young people we literally can say that you can come into a sector, you can become a competent engineer, you can earn fantastic money, and it's a good career, but there's nothing to sell there, whereas this sort of ecosystem proposal around the super engineer and upskilling and an unlimited career pathway of moving any different verticals, different sectors and and trial in different areas is uh, far more attractive to young people and. We've currently got 140 open vacancies. So our employers are hiring 140 young people, and it's a real struggle to fill those vacancies for those employers. We get 2,000 applicants a month from young people applying for those jobs, but the majority of them don't meet the minimum requirements that we would expect. So therefore, it's really, really difficult to find young people. So that's the second challenge. First challenge is engineering shortage. Second challenge is young people applying for the, the open vacancies that we have. So do you see that that
0: super engineer as that kind of almost hook for the for a new sales pitch for for the it's almost reinventing the sector, I suppose, and and bringing it up to twenty twenty three standards and and you know look look ahead, look at all the different disciplines you can go down. Part of that is the fire and security sector. Do you think technology is probably the biggest pull in that whole hook you know the technology that's being used and and can be worked on and and the understanding required for the new systems that incorporate everything from AI to biometrics to integrated systems all of this kind of stuff is is that what's really pulling people in do you think and that
2: what is that what will pull young people in? That's 100% the hook that we're going after is that sort of technology digital AI sort of attractiveness but what we're also looking at is that we have this phase apprenticeship, which I am a big supporter of, love it, think it's very well suited to the sector. But you then look at the variation of our sector, the Marlows the JCIs, right down to the small one-man bands that install smart systems in houses. The phase apprenticeship covers all of that, and actually there is an area where there might be other opportunities to upskill people in more appropriate. And that may be the hook that actually solves the problem looking at other apprenticeships that Marlow can benefit from that are more integrative, networking, maybe fire suppression as well LinkedIn down to the smart home, smart alarm, cctv system apprenticeships so that i think the the dynamics of the sector are certainly changing because of technology
0: i know you mentioned there was a difference in the percentage of apprentices um, to employer ratios simon what, what would your message to employers be you know why should they take on apprentices firstly i guess are they looking to do so is, is this something that you're getting a lot of demand out of but for those who aren't maybe what, what would your message be
1: well my message would be to employers they need to embrace apprenticeships because they need to feed their business with new blood, new ideas. And um, it's one of those things that there's a resistance because people always want the path of least resistance and that's natural. And I get that. And if you're a busy business, let's face it, you walk into your average installer and they're as busy as, as any business can be. In fact, frantic is how I describe some of them at some point. And that's what I mean about the optimization because sometimes they're up here and then they're right down there and they need something balanced out. So I think that's, that's one thing. But I think technology is a hugely important driver. But that's where young people come in. And I think they're much more readily agreeable to tech. You know, I don't want to come across as ageist here, but I think a young person is more computer literate. I think they're more tech savvy. And because of that, they fit in much better. And they will provide skill sets. They'll fill in gaps in, in businesses. But there is an investment in time but that time is not as much as people think they don't go from being a totally incompetent young person. And it doesn't, it certainly doesn't take three years. I mean, within six months, if that young person went on holiday, you'd miss them. And I think that's the point here. So it is hugely important for people to bite the bullet, literally, accept that they need to have new people in their business, take on apprenticeships and they won't look back. Oh yeah, there's a little bit of pain, but there's always pain in, in anything you do. If you want your business to be, uh, achieve better things, there's going to be a little bit of pain. So uh, my message to installers would be, get on with it, hire those young people, go and visit your local college, go and visit Skills website, find out. I mean, David will have a much better idea of how to get in, in fact, you might want to bring David in on how a typical process. If you're an installer, OK, what do I do? Do I pick up the phone do I go on website? What would you do if you were in, an employer?
2: Yes, yeah, so we website's the best place to go to, and then um, you can register your interest. There's a part of the website that says how to recruit an apprentice, and then um, you can, in that box, select what sort of apprenticeship you're looking for, and then we, as a business, help you recruit for an apprentice. We're not a recruitment company, but because of our access to the government website, we are able to advertise your open job vacancies on the government's um, uh, website, it's called National Apprenticeship Service. So we advertise on there, we then look through those CVs, we make sure they match your job specification, and then we send uh, the best ones through to you to then move forward with an interview. So yeah, that's certainly the best place to start is on the website, and then have a look at the how to hire an apprentice section.
0: And what does the typical sort of first six months, I suppose, look like for an employer who's just hired an apprentice, both from an employer's perspective and, and an apprentice's?
2: Yes, and funnily enough, we are actually creating a roadmap just now. Our roadmap's probably the wrong name for it, but it's almost like a, a three-year incentive programme that we are recommending to our employers to put apprentices on. And essentially, in the first six months of recruiting apprentice, we are recommending these are the kpis that we would expect a young person to be able to achieve so for example install first fixing of different devices put in cable and secure the infrastructure of cable and then if they meet those kpis and performance indicators under a, a, an assessment condition we would recommend that they're given an incentive whether that be an amazon voucher or a van or an additional holiday but that's essentially what we are now recommending because there's a huge issue out there we're retaining young people with our employers as well so we want to support our employers not only in hiring but retaining the talent that they do eventually
0: find. I was going to ask about that, Steve, about that that retention word it's it's used a lot I think I've you know hearing from recruitment companies as because of the skills gap there's a lot of openings out there and it's 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 quite possible to just sort of jump about quite a bit. What would be your advice to companies who have sort of seen this happen to them maybe, who have come, I hired an apprentice and I got them trained and, and, then, and then they jump ship, et cetera. Simon, have you got any thoughts on that?
1: I think what's worse actually is if you don't have any apprentices in your business, you have a workforce that will possibly jump around and they will be expensive because, you know, the adage is if something becomes rare, it becomes expensive and that's our problem really and i don't deny that our engineers should be earning fifty, sixty, seventy thousand 70000 pounds but i think a security engineer in london earning 80 90k is great for the engineer but it's not great for the employer and it's it's not a sustainable business model people can't afford to do that and yes people do jump around and and recruitment companies will be you know, some are good and some are bad. And there are, we, we know the bad ones are, we know the good ones are. The bad ones will literally place an engineer in a company and then six weeks later, ring up that engineer and go, are you happy? Fancy a move, I've got another job for you over here. It's another 10K. And that's just terrible for the employer. And as I say, it's an unworkable situation. So my advice would be, you'll have less problems with, if you, if you invest in a, in a young apprentice and you pay them well, and I'm not saying paying them 90 grand a year, because I would say, if you pay the apprentice even on 30k a year, which is a really good wage for a 22-year-old, that's a third of what that really expensive and probably not as good engineer. Yes, he might have experience or he/she might have experience, but they um, won't be experienced in the new competencies that are being trained through the Fire Emergency and Security Systems Apprenticeship, which was written for the industry, by the industry. So it's a sound I was on the committee of the FES Apprenticeship for five years uh, from 2015 to 2020 and oversaw uh, what was the curriculum and making sure that it was up to date and very relevant because the old city and guilds was was so out of date. I mean, it was embarrassing. This one is really good. And if I see an engineer that's gone through that, I know immediately, you know, certainly from a theoretical point of view, that is a good engineer. And yeah they always learn on the job so my my message to employers is if you invest properly in that engineer don't leave them on seven pounds an hour pay them properly then they will they will show you loyalty i think the current retention rates are something of way about 80 percent for apprentices anyway in our sector which is which isn't bad considering the the fact that they are a commodity that is bought traded out there you know through recruitment companies so um yeah, I don't think it's so bad. So my simple message is get into apprentices to solve that problem because flooding it with talent. And if you flood it with talent, then you haven't got this
2: situation where it becomes
1: rare and expensive. And that's very important.
2: We, we have done some research with our own apprentices on what reasons they decide to either leave the sector or leave their employer. And it always goes, it's never to do with um, their baseline salary. It's always to do with being given the opportunity to develop further or achieve further incentives within the business. And that's why we came up with this sort of roadmap, we called it, because apprentices are telling us that they maybe join a company for, I can't think of the figures, but say it's 300 a week or 400 a week. It doesn't matter what their baseline money is, but it's how they're incentivised through the next three years. So the small opportunity to do extra training or further development or manufacture training or an extra day's holiday or or an Amazon voucher or a Workspan or tools, like these things that they can build in over the three years rather than just more money, seems to be the way that companies can retain better.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I was going to ask that exact question, David, of of what, you know, when you're speaking to apprentices within the skill security system you know what what are they looking for and, and it seems like it's it's not just about the money there's a lot more to it and particularly in this generation coming through there's a lot more to consider it's whether it might be work-life balance or just generally having a having a kind of better and more inclusive culture are those things that they also care about maybe more so than previous generations have
2: oh 100% yeah the challenge you've got is that typically in our sector you do work naturally more I was, uh, on call and and out of hours and you finish projects and so you have to work longer but yeah I, I mean I'm I'm a huge advocate of our sector like this gave me a fantastic career today so um I, I certainly see the benefits of what this sector can do for any young person absolutely and just a final question for you
0: Simon really is you know you'll sit on BSIA board NSI etc if there was a message that you could sort of send to the wider industry in, in the foreign security sector to kind of support the, whether it be tackling the skills gap or just the general future of the engineering sector, what, what would
1: it be? You know, we've got a skills gap. So we've got a deficit of engineers and that is not good for anybody in the value chain. That's not good for manufacturers because if there's nobody there to fit it, you're not going to sell anything as a manufacturer. So the whole value chain, and that's in all verticals, gets affected by that. So we've got to solve that in some way. And as I've said before, we're not just going to solve it with young people because we're competing with a lot. We compete with too much. There's too many uh, opportunities for young people out there and they're not all going to gravitate towards the foreign security industry. We've got to look broader, got to look electro-technical instead of this tunnel vision foreign security because IoT, all of those things fit into the Venn diagrams and crossovers and everything else that is our sector right now. So my advice would be to use what you've got out there so we got uh, we, as i say we've got 375,000 licensed security officers and because of that we, we can create a career path we could take 5% of those at 17,000 what a fantastic career opportunity to go into that so that would be my thing to think broader and to um just know the the downside of not supporting closing of the skills gap it affects everybody and uh, that's why it's so important
0: Welcome back, and thank you very much to David Scott and Simon Banks for joining us. A really interesting listen, in that uh, especially the idea of super engineers and what their vision of a future fire and security installer in a multidisciplined environment might look like. Now, in the second episode, we'll be hearing from Kevin Faulkner, Operations Director of Bannum Academy. Kevin will discuss what has changed in recent years in fire and security, what he perceives the skills gap to actually mean, and the importance of diversity and inclusivity to the industry. There's some useful links in the episode description, so do take a look at these, including to our regular podcast series, Security in Focus. There's also a link to sign up to the IFSEC Insider Newsletters, bringing you the latest news straight to your inbox each week with a dedicated monthly installer roundup too. That's all for this episode though. Thanks for joining us and bye for now.